Today on the Matt Walsh Show, teachers' unions are demanding to be put to the front of the vaccine line in order to resume classes. But now that they've gotten the vaccine, they're still refusing to go back to work. We'll talk about that. Also, five headlines, including the Biden administration announcing that the military will pay for sex change operations. Again, hooray. Uh, This is supposed to be a win for diversity. But even if that were true, does diversity actually matter at all, or especially in the military? And in our daily cancellation, some on the left are complaining that Tom Brady still has a job in the NFL, but Colin Kaepernick doesn't, which is a little bit like complaining that Kevin Durant has a job in the NBA, but I don't. So we'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Before we get going here today, I want to tell you about my pillow. You know, it's it's having a good night's sleep without a good pillow is, well, it's not a thing. It doesn't happen. You can't, it's, it's impossible. You're the quality of your sleep is going to depend so much on the quality of your pillow, and that's why you need a My Pillow. My Pillow products don't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want, and they maintain their shape. And best of all, they're made in the USA. And I would say, second best of all, they just—they're extremely comfortable pillows. Um, and they're—they're uh, they're not quite—you know—if you haven't tried a My Pillow, you got to at least get it and try it because it's—it's it's very different sort of experience than maybe you're expecting. Uh, but then you try it out and you think, wow, this is actually very comfortable. If you don't have a MyPillow or know someone who doesn't, now's the time to get one because for a limited time, MyPillow is offering their premium MyPillows for their lowest price ever. You can get a queen-size premium MyPillow, uh, usually $69.98. It's only going to run you $29.98. That's a $40 savings. Kings are only 5 bucks more. Folks, now is the time to buy. Not only are you getting the lowest price ever, but they are the best gifts ever. $29.98 for a queen-size premium MyPillow. And you can buy now, and they will extend the 60-day money-back guarantee to March 1st, 2021. Like I said, get it and at least try it out. Um, and I think you'll discover that, you know, you, the last thing you want to do is send it back. If anything, you're going to go and want to buy some more MyPillows. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square. There you'll uh, find not only th- this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza bed, uh, Dream Bed Sheets, the MyPillow Mattress Topper, and MyPillow Towel Sets. Or call 800-651-1148 and use promo code DAILYWIRE. Our society, you know, has always hailed teachers as heroes, selfless, noble, courageous educators and caretakers of our children. The teaching profession was one of the few we were supposed to celebrate unquestioningly. Teachers were one of only a few professional groups we were meant to applaud simply for existing. Now, this attitude towards, towards really any profession at all was and is and has always been wrongheaded. Nobody is a hero merely for working in a certain occupation. I don't care what the occupation is because they're getting paid. Whatever the line of work is, most people get into it because it's something they think they can do and they want to do. And they think they can make money doing it. It's not a bad reason to take on a job by any means. It's also not heroic. I mean, it's sort of a morally neutral motivation most of the time. Doing something because you want to do it and you think you're good at it doesn't make you a martyr or a saint. It doesn't make you a bad person either. It just makes you a person like the rest of us. So there are, there are good teachers, plenty of them, even heroic teachers. I've known some, but they aren't good or heroic simply for being teachers, and that's the distinction to keep in mind. The problem with adopting a romanticized view of any, any, any profession is that it makes it impossible to hold the people in that profession accountable or to criticize them when they deserve it. And this is exactly why this romanticized idea was cultivated in the per- first place. It becomes especially problematic when we're talking about people who work so closely with and have such an influence over our children. You know, this should be cause for extra scrutiny, more accountability, 
louder criticism when warranted because the consequence of turning a blind eye or ignoring the bad things when your children are concerned could be catastrophic. The teachers unions have made this situation so much worse, but worse, but both by framing any criticism of teachers as an attack on the teaching profession, haranguing the public into turning that blind eye and ignoring the neglect or abuse of our children in the school system, which does happen and has always happened, and also by fiercely protecting the bad teachers while demanding ever more considerations and benefits and perks for all teachers, irrespective of their job performance. The whole situation is quite a mess, to put it mildly, and that mess has been thrown into much sharper relief over the past nearly, what, a year now, when schools across the country have been shut down. It was, of course, known almost from the beginning, as we have talked about many times in the show, that there was no real reason to have schools shut down at all, as children are not likely to contract or spread the virus. It became even clearer as time went on that the consequences of having the schools shut down and trying to replace them with Skype and Zoom sessions were dire. We talked yesterday about the child suicide epidemic in one of the largest school districts in the country, prompting a renewed push for classes to resume in person in that district. And yet still, the teachers' unions and many teachers themselves, though certainly not all, have demanded that schools stay shut, education be damned, the children be damned, goalposts keep moving. And there's no end to this process of goalpost shifting, as we have learned. Here's how bad it's gotten. The Washington Post has an editorial. Um, an appropriately critical, even fiery editorial about the teachers union in Fairfax County and um, everything that teachers union is doing to avoid going back to work. Let me read a bit. This is written by Rory Cooper, who's a, a parent to three students in the district. It says, quote, the Fairfax County school system demanded and then received high priority placement for teachers and administrators to be vaccinated against the coronavirus. Those vaccines began a week ago. And according to the Fairfax County Public Schools Superintendent Scott Brabrand, um, yes, his name is Bra Brand. Anyway, 5,000 teachers have received their first dose and an additional 22,000 teachers are registered to receive their first dose soon. And yet, having jumped to the front of the vaccine line, Bra Brand, the FCPS school board, and the, uh, I can't even say the last name without laughing. It's, you know, I should be in public school myself. Um, the F and the FC FCPS school board and the uh, teachers union are delaying opening schools. That raises the question of, why they have the priority placement to, be, to begin with, and whether these vaccinations should be immediately halted so that high-risk individuals or public servants who have been working outside of their homes for the entirety of the year have access. Okay, so let's not um, understate what's happened here. The teachers union engaged in a form of extortion, really, holding the education system hostage so that they themselves could get to the front of the vaccine line, butting in front of the elderly people, sick people, other high-risk people. Keep in mind that the average age of a teacher in the U.S. is 42. About 15% of teachers are under 30. Under 30. So these, by and large, are not high-risk people. Many of them have little to worry about, even if they get sick. If you're 27, even if you're a teacher and you get sick, you're probably going to be fine. So the statistics tell us. Yet they were put to the front of the line. And after being given what they want, they still refuse to go to work. And when I say they, I mean the union. You know, we have to keep in mind, again, that there are plenty of individual teachers who oppose this, and vocally so, though not enough are being vocal to my mind. But it gets worse. Listen to this. 
At the uh, January 21st school board meeting, Fairfax Education Association President Kimberly Adams said she received her first vaccine dose on January 14th, two days ahead of the scheduled start for school personnel. She has said that her union would not support a return to full-time education even in the fall. The fall, as in September 2021, nine months after she was vaccinated. The union says that all students must also be vaccinated. Adams also wants 14 days of zero community spread. Yes, she now wants the students to be vaccinated too. But kids, again, are a very, very low risk group. Also, and this seems like a relevant problem, a little bit of a logistical issue here. There aren't any vaccines currently available for kids under 10 or rather under 14, actually. And her demand for two weeks of zero spread is a demand for schools to never resume ever. And yet these people still want to get paid, have been getting paid. They're demanding front of the line for the vaccine, full pay, full benefits, but without having to do their job for a year now and counting. This is quite simply one of the greatest displays of cowardice and selfishness I have ever witnessed. And if you think I'm exaggerating, remember, again, that, that, that children are not learning anything th- through Zoom class. Listen to the teachers themselves. They'll tell you. So the kids, their education is being stunted. And meanwhile, they're increasingly falling into depression and suicide. The teachers unions look at this and just shrug their shoulders. The only thing they care about, the only thing, period, at all, is that they personally get the most amount of money and the most amount of benefits for doing the least amount of work possible. And that has always been the concern of the teachers' union, always. And don't expect anybody in the current administration to speak up forcefully against this. The the Chicago's teachers' union is also refusing to return to work, even though a plan was put in place to open schools again. So the city wants to open the schools, but the teachers' union is saying, we're not going to go. They're stamping their feet and saying they're not going to go back to the schools because they're too afraid. President Biden was asked about this yesterday and had a chance to stand up for, you know, the kids and for the education system. But instead, here was his answer. Right now, the Chicago Teachers Union has refused. They've defied an order to return to in-person classing for in-person classrooms because of a lack of vaccinations. Do you believe, sir, that teachers should return to schools now? I believe we should make school classrooms safe and secure for the students, for the teachers, and for the, the help that's in those schools maintaining the facilities. We need new ventilation systems in those schools. We need testing for people coming in and out of the classes. We need testing for teachers as well as students. And we need the capacity, the capacity to know that, in fact, the the circumstance in the school is safe and secure for everyone. For example, there's no reason why the clear guidance will be that every school should be thoroughly sanitized from from the lavatories to the hallways. And so this is about making and none of the school districts that I'm aware of, there may be some, public school districts have insisted that all those pieces be in place. Yeah, there's his answer. What, what, a, what a talk about cowardice. That's the theme here. What an absolute coward. He had a chance to stand up. I mean, Democrats are terrified of teachers unions. We know that. Uh, he had a chance to stand up and say, listen, get back to work. The kids need you. Stop whining and get back to work. 
Instead, he talks about new ventilation, new ventilation systems in all of the schools in the whole country. Why? Do they all even need it? What else do you want? Maybe we should demolish all the schools and just rebuild them from scratch just to be safe. Yeah, there could be some leftover um, viruses in there or, 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 you know, you never know. There could be a virus hiding somewhere under a, a floor tile. So let's just let's just demolish them all. Or better yet, demolish them all and not rebuild them because, you know, we might as well if they aren't being used. The upshot here is that school will not return this year for millions of kids and probably not in the fall either. When all is said and done, millions of kids might end up missing two years of their education. Missing one year is now the best case scenario. Think about that. Now, for any kid whose parents took over and homeschooled, they won't have missed anything. In fact, they're going to be better off. But most parents aren't doing that. Um, there are many parents who, who can't do it because they still have to work. Uh, and so those kids, millions of them, are simply going without. And that will now continue indefinitely because of the, the, the chronic, unadulterated, cowardice, self-interest, callousness, and laziness of the teachers' unions and many of its members. It's as simple as that. Now let's get to our five headlines. Yeah, I just this isn't one of the headlines, but I just read uh, that the the CEO of Delta Airlines is saying that they're going to ban, they're ramping up um, their banning system, and they're going to be banning a lot more passengers. And he says any passengers who refuse to display basic civility will be banned. And you know, it, it kind of sounds like okay, now you're just going to ban everybody because who in America at this point? would would, fall, would it actually displays basic civility. But I'm actually, I'm in favor of this. Now, the problem is when, when airlines talk about banning people these days, it's all about the masks. And I'm not in favor of that. But if you were to take this logic and apply it, you know, across the board, I'm totally in favor of that. I mean, the basic idea of banning people from planes for acting like jerks, fine with me. And I'll give you one example, because I was just on a plane. I mentioned uh, yesterday, we were, I was traveling over the weekend. And I was on a plane and um, uh, fully pla- packed flight. So I guess we're forgetting about the coronavirus thing now. Of course, you have to be socially distanced to get on the plane, as we know. But then you get on the plane and you're just packed in like sardines. Um, and there's someone sitting next to me in the middle seat. And so here's, here's the kind of person that you ban, I think. And if I'm, if I'm setting the rules for an airline, this is what I'm doing. When you're sitting in the middle seat, a lot of times there's controversy over who gets the armrests. Well, I'll tell you right now. And I'm surprised so many people don't realize this. When you're in the middle seat, you get no armrests. You have no right to any space at all. You are an imposition on the people around you. And when you're sitting down in the middle seat and you have to kind of do that awkward thing where you say, oh, can I sit there? Is anybody sitting there? And you feel like both the person in the aisle and the, and the, and the uh, window seat is looking at you and judging you and hating you for being there. That's right. They are. And they do hate you for being there. So all you're allowed to do in the middle seat, this is all you can do. You sit still, do not move, do not speak, do not eat, don't put your tray table down, don't get on your laptop, don't even read, because that involves moving your elbows. This is all you do the entire time, just like this. Do not move. I don't care if it's six hours. Anyone who doesn't follow that rule should be banned. So that's the first thing I would do. 
Middle seat, yeah. Middle seat, you have you are basically less of a person. You have you have no constitutional rights, no rights of any kind, because you're sitting in that middle seat. I'll send that memo to De- Delta. Maybe they could think about that policy, or just get rid of the middle seats entirely. I think maybe that might be the better situation. All right. So um, number one, the White House announced that it will be continuing Trump's travel restrictions. Now this is interesting. We, we, we have two things we'll play for you. They announced they're going to continue the travel restrictions. And these are, as we recall, travel restrictions that Biden himself called xenophobic. Before we play that clip, um, here, here we are at the White House press conference announcing these continued travel restrictions that are supposedly xenophobic. Let's listen. This proclamation is part of the Biden administration's whole of government decisive and science-driven response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Of particular note, on advice of our administration's medical and COVID team, President Biden has decided to maintain the restrictions previously in place for the uh, European Schengen area, the United Kingdom, Republican Republic of Ireland, and Brazil. With the pandemic worsening and more contagious variant contagious variants spreading, this isn't the time to be lifting restrictions on international travel. And in light of the contagious variant uh, B1351, South Africa has been added to the restricted list. Additionally, beginning tomorrow, international travelers to the United States must provide proof of a negative test within three days of travel to airlines prior to departure. The president is taking these steps on the advice of his COVID-19 and medical team. My God, the xenophobia and racism here, it's traumatizing to me on a, on a personal level. It really is. That's difficult to listen to. At least that's what Joe Biden said. He, he, he tweeted it um, a few months ago when President Trump announced uh, travel bans from China. Joe Biden said it was xenophobic. And that was brought up at this same press conference. The answer um, to this objection was not very convincing, but uh, I don't know. You, you can decide for yourself. Here it is. When President Trump was imposing travel restrictions in March, specifically on China, then candidate Biden called it xenophobic and fear-mongering. So now President Biden is putting travel restrictions on people coming in from other countries. What word do we use to describe that? Well, I don't think that's quite a fair articulation. Uh, The president has been clear that he felt the Muslim ban was xenophobic. He overturned the Muslim ban. Uh, He also, though, has uh, supported, um, and he himself, even before, or we did, I should say, even before he was inaugurated, steps, uh, travel restrictions in order to keep the American people safe, uh, to ensure that uh, we are getting the pandemic under control. That's been part of his policy. But he was critical of the former president for having a policy that was not more comprehensive than travel restrictions. And he conveyed at the time, and more recently, the importance of having a multifaceted approach, mask wearing, vaccine distribution, funding in order to uh, get 100 million shots in the arms of Americans in the first 100 days, not just travel restrictions. Okay, what does the so-called Muslim ban have to do with anything? Well, it has nothing to do with it at all. That's just, that's just a deflection. So this is, this is obviously nonsense, and this is what you find. It's, it's, very, it's very easy uh, when you're the candidate to look at really common sense policies, like we're in the middle of a global pandemic, so you start putting travel restrictions in place. And it's easy to to throw words like bigot and xenophobia, but then you get into office and these are the things that you have to do. Um, 
from the Daily Wire, it says, President Joe Biden repealed a Trump-era executive order barring people who identify as transgenders from serving in the military in most cases, as well as preventing military funding from paying for sex reassignment surgeries. Big quotes around sex reassignment surgery, of course, because there is actually no way to reassign your sex. It's, uh, you, you, can, you, can, you can mutilate your genitalia, but in no sense whatsoever do you have now a, a new sex. Anyway, uh, it says Biden's executive order, which the White House announced on Monday morning, rescinds one Trump, uh, one that Trump issued in 2017, implemented in 2019. The White House said allowing all qualified Americans to serve their country in uniform is better for the military and better for the country because an inclusive force is a more effective force. Simply put, it's the right thing to do and is in our national interest. The White House also said... Um, this question of how to enable all quali qualified Americans to serve in the military is easily answered by recognizing our co core values. America is stronger at home and around the world when it is inclusive. And they also said that diversity. So di they said diversity and in inclusivity are our core values. Well, first of all, that's not the case at all. So we could talk about this on, on a general nationwide level. Speaking specifically about the military. Now, I never served. So anyone who's been in the military, especially if you served in combat, correct me if I'm wrong, right? But uh, so go ahead and correct me if I'm wrong. But when you're on the battlefield, simple diversity isn't going to do you much good, right? There's probably not a time on the battlefield when you're in a situation you say, oh, thank God it's diverse, Thank God we have a diverse fighting force right now. Unless we're talking about a, a you know a diversity of weaponry or something like that. But we're talking about diversity in the way that they mean it here. Once again, if, if I'm wrong, tell me. It's just hard for me to envision a scenario where that would happen. And the reason it's hard for me to envision a scenario is that there's really no scenario in life when that works. In any institution. There's no scenario where any institution is better at doing its job simply because of diversity or because of inclusion in and of itself. Diversity in and of itself, inclusion in and of itself, these are not virtues. It depends on who you're including, why you're including them, what you are including them into, and especially with the military, where it's supposed to be right about uniform, uniformity, one fighting force, working together to accomplish a mission. It's not about the individual. So any, any, any focus on the individual, on an individual's desires and whatever else, orientations, um, that's not going to help you in the accomplishment of your mission. And that's not even the case anywhere else in any other institution. I would, I would imagine it's especially the case in the military. No, diversity, I know that it's, it's heresy these days to say it, but diversity is not a virtue in and of itself. We have to think about what, what are we including people into and what's the, what's the purpose of that inclusion? What is our objective? And when it comes to, as we talked about, I think we talked about, yes, uh, last week, multiculturalism. This is you know, basically the same thing. These are synonyms. The problem with multiculturalism. What's the problem with multiculturalism? Well, with, when you have multiculturalism within uh, a country within a society, it means that you have no shared culture, which is to say the country has no real culture at all. It's just a mishmash of different cultures all living in the same general area, 
but there's no shared sense of purpose, no shared sense of identity. And that, of course, is, is the, the plan. That's, that's the point for the left. That's what they're trying to do. Um, number three, an article in the New York Times, and I'll just give you the headline. It says, two masks are the new mask. Double masking is a sensible and easy way to lower your risk when you have to spend more time around others in a taxi, on a train or plane, or at an inauguration. Um, and on this, so now this is, this is not just the New York Times. This is because there's a new push last few days. Dr. Fauci came out and endorsed double masking and said that, yeah, well, it's better than wearing one. Speaking of being on a plane, I was actually sitting near someone who was wearing, they're wearing at least two masks. It kind of looked like maybe there were three. I saw somebody else in the airport. They had, they had two masks and the visor on. <laughs> and yeah, so two masks is better than one. You know what's even better than two masks? Listen, listen to this idea. Brilliant strategy. Three masks. Why not? See, when there's, when there's no limiting principle when it comes to masks, then why not, wear, why not wear two? Why not require two? If it's really going to make people safer, it's going to save lives. Maybe we should insist on it. You can't go anywhere. You can't go to the grocery store unless you wear two masks or three. There's no limiting principle. Doesn't, there's, there's, there's no, there's no, this doesn't end anywhere. Because if the idea behind masks has always been, if the, if the justification for masks has always been, what, what, is, what has the justification always been? It's been that um, it's no big deal to wear it, supposedly. Uh, you know, it's no, no skin off your nose. And uh, it'll make you safer. So, and if, if that's true, and if that's enough reason to mandate it, then we might as well just mandate it forever. Two masks, three masks, whatever is necessary. Number four from the New York Post, it says, humans could live on giant orbs floating in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter within the next 15 years. This seems like big news to me. I don't know. That's the claim made by top scientist Dr. Pekka um, John Hunin, who says millions of people could inhabit a megacity in space by 2026. That's not 15 years, more like five years. Uh, John Hunin, an astrophysicist at the Finnish Meteorological Institute, uh, described his vision in a research paper published this month. He laid out the blueprint for floating mega satellites around the um, dwarf planet Ceres, which lies roughly 325 million miles from Earth. Um, and he says that this is something we could do in the next few years. And what people would do, they would live in these, these floating satellites and then they would, they would mine Ceres and I guess some of the other asteroids, they would mine them for resources and then bring it back to their floating cities. A few problems with this. One is that I think it would take like eight or nine years even to get out there to begin with, which is going to make the process of building these floating cities kind of hard. Also, who in the hell, you know, you hear about these plans. Oh, we'll set up, we'll set up a, a colony on Mars. I, I kind of like that idea, but okay, we'll go, we'll, we'll be in the asteroid belt. Who would volunteer for this? Who would volunteer to go live forever floating in the black abyss with asteroids flying past you at all times, just waiting to smash into you and kill everybody? Who, who, would, who would ever sign up for that? Unless we set it up as a prison colony, which is that idea I kind of like. Just take people, the worst kinds, especially as we're getting rid of the death penalty so we can't just banish them out into space. Now that idea I like. Number five from The Hill says Anheuser-Busch will not advertise its Budweiser products during this year's Super Bowl for the first time since 1983, instead putting that money toward promoting vaccination awareness. This according to the company, which they announced this week. 
The company will retain four minutes of ad time for its other brands, which include Michelob Ultra and Bud Light, according to the Associated Press. Uh, that's the, speaking of heroes. So they're not, they're not going to advertise Budweiser, but they are, they're still going to advertise their other brands. But then the money that would have went to the Budweiser ad, they're going to they're put towards vaccination awareness. A couple of things about this. Number one, um, who exactly at this point is not aware of the vaccine? What exactly does vaccination awareness consist of? I think we all know about it by now. And also, just, just to be clear, uh, the reason why, and they're not the only brand that's doing this. They're saying, oh, we're not going to advertise during the Super Bowl. We've decided we don't want to do that. But the real reason they're not doing it is because the ratings of the Super Bowl are expected to be way down. And so they've decided it's just not worth the money, which I totally understand. But stop trying to dress it up as some noble thing they're doing. Um, finally, this is kind of a bonus thing I wanted to play for you. I've had it for a few days. I wanted to play. You know the girl who did that, uh, that bad slam poetry at the inauguration? Um, she also has, no surprise here, I'm sure this is the reason she was selected. She has, she, she did a couple years ago, a slam poetry performance where she was celebrating abortion. And uh, I thought this would be a treat for all of us just to listen to some poetry. So here we go. Eight reasons to stand up today against abortion bans in the United States. One. Let's get this straight. When the penalty for rape is less than the penalty for abortion after the rape, you know this isn't about caring for women and girls, it's about controlling them. Two, through forcing them into motherhood before they're ready, these bans steadily sustain the patriarchy, but also chain families in poverty and maintain economic inequality. Three, Pregnancy is a private and personal decision and should not require the permission of any politician. Okay, three's enough. She goes on, she goes on to, to, to eight. Yeah, point number one, by the way, what was it? The, the penalty for uh, abortion is worse than the penalty for rape? What? These are the kinds of claims that pro-abortion people make all the time. Totally untethered from reality. Uh, you know, it's, you go to prison longer for getting abortion than you do for, for, for rape. What are you talking about? That's not even remotely true. There's, there is no legal penalty for abortion. In case you haven't noticed, Roe v. Wade is still in effect. I wish it weren't in effect, but it is. And I don't expect that to change anytime soon. So that's, that's just, that's her first point. That's point number one. And it's a total fantasy. It has no bearing whatsoever on reality, no relationship to reality. And then the rest is, I, I, how is this poetry? Someone explain it to me. I already admitted last week, I'm a, I'm a Philistine. I don't, I don't know anything about, about art. I, I admit that, but I hear this. It doesn't rhyme at all. There's no real rhythm. You're, you're just, you've, you've written down your little editorial about abortion and you're, you're speaking it, moving your hands around a lot. And that's all you're doing. You're just moving your hands and speaking. Which I do that. I'm a hand talker. So I guess I'm also a poet. You didn't know, you didn't know that when you listen to this show. You're, you're listening to poetry. Poetry in motion. Well, as we've been telling you, you know, Daily Wire, we're on a mission. And that mission is to fight to take back the culture. And one big part of that um, effort is, starts with entertainment. You know, rather than just commenting on culture, we also want to create culture. That's why earlier this month we released our first film, Run, Hide, Fight, exclusive to Daily Wire members. You can catch it over at dailywire.com 
or our mobile app or on our streaming apps at Apple TV or Roku. There's a lot of places you can get it. The main thing is, though, if you're not a Daily Wire member yet, use promo code RHF to get 25% off. That's RHF for 25% off. We picked Ron Hyde Fight because um, it's uh, one that the Hollywood studios turned down because it was, uh, you know, they, it, was dis- it was distasteful, they thought, and they didn't like it. And uh, many of them like it even less now that we're involved. But the great thing is that the audience loves it. That's why it has a 93% fresh rating in Rotten Tomatoes with over 2,000 audience reviews. So trust the audience on this one. You can catch it again over at dailywire.com or our mobile app or on our streaming apps at Apple TV or Roku. If you're not a Daily Wire member yet, use promo code RHF to get 25% off. That's RHF for 25% off. Let's get now to our daily cancellation. Today, we're going to cancel everybody involved in making this happen on Twitter. Yesterday, Kaepernick was trending, and Twitter provided uh, this explanation or context, they would say, for the trend. They said, as Tom Brady makes his way to another Super Bowl, some football fans are pointing out that the quarterback's politics, i.e. his friendship with Donald Trump, haven't derailed his career in the way that Colin Kaepernick's peaceful protest of police violence did, arguably leading to his exit from the NFL. Okay, now just to give additional context to Twitter's context, the people making that claim are not football fans. A football fan knows that comparing Colin Kaepernick to Tom Brady is like, well, it's like comparing Colin Kaepernick to Tom Brady. There's no analogy I can draw that would be more absurd than that. And as if to illustrate my point that the people making this comparison cannot really be football fans, here's a woman called Samantha Polino, and she says in her bio that she dances on Broadway and uh, she also gives her pronouns. Now, I don't want to stereotype, but my immediate assumption would be that Samantha, the Broadway dancer with pronouns in her bio, probably isn't a football expert, I would guess. And my suspicions are potentially confirmed by this. She says, quote, as we approach another Tom Brady Super Bowl, let's remember he's friends with Trump and has endorsed Republicans in their policies, while one of the greatest quarterbacks of our generation, Colin Kaepernick, had his career derailed for kneeling during the anthem. Hashtag hypocrisy. Uh, Samantha, you're not doing your your gender any favors um, with statements like that. One of the greatest quarterbacks of our generation, Colin Kaepernick. This is true in the same sense that Pete Davidson is one of our greatest thespians and Eric Swalwell is our greatest statesman. Which is to say, it's not true in any sense at all. So I can't believe I have to do this, but let, let me uh, let me let me just give you s- some of the numbers here. Um, especially maybe if you're not a football fan, and you hear a claim like this, just I'll give you a, a few numbers you can throw out there uh, to to correct the record. Colin Kaepernick had a career completions percentage of 59.8, which is not very good, um, with uh, with 72 touchdowns against 30 inter- interceptions. In his final three seasons, he went eight and eight, then two and six, then one and ten as a starter. And was eventually benched for Blaine Gabbert, which is the football equivalent of losing an arm wrestling match to your niece. All that said, you know, he did have some historic moments on the football field, like when he threw two pick sixes in a row on the first two drives of the game against the Cardinals in 2015. Um, Very few QBs have ever done that. In fact, I think he might be the only one to start a game. His first two throws were, uh, were intercepted for touchdowns. Now, let's consider Tom Brady. Tom Brady has never had a losing season in 21 years. He has six Super Bowl rings, 10 Super Bowl appearances. He owns the record for the most playoff wins, most playoff completions, most playoff passing touchdowns, like 50 other records. He left New England at the age of 43 
went to a previously mediocre Tampa Bay team and immediately brought them to a Super Bowl too. I don't like saying it or admitting it, but he is the undisputed greatest football player of all time, and there is no other credible candidate for that position, period. He has won as many NFC championships as Breeze and Rodgers, and he's been in the conference for one year, and he was 43 again. So this guy is the Michael Jordan of football, only better because Jordan played on a different team in his 40s and didn't have this kind of success at all. So if you're wondering, that is why Tom Brady has a career and Colin Kaepernick doesn't. One of them is mediocre by every conceivable statistical measure, while the other is the greatest of all time by every conceivable statistical measure. Just so, just a slight difference. A slight difference between greatest of all time and not very good. But a worldview that doesn't recognize merit or take it into account and fundamentally denies that merit should have any any, any, anything to do with success is bound to have some really, really bad sports takes as this proves. And as, in fact, ESPN proves every single day. Now, with that said, it is true that Kaepernick's politics, his protest, played a factor in his not having a job in the NFL for the past five years. I mean, absolutely. I think sometimes conservatives make a mistake in denying this. They, where they try to say, oh, it had nothing to do with it. it no, it, it did have something to do with it. It is true that Kaepernick was essentially blackballed by the league. Um, it's also true that there are, are, are people in the league now who are probably worse than him. There are quarterbacks in the league right now that are probably second, second and third string quarterbacks, but there are second and third string quarterbacks in the league right now who are um, not much better than him, possibly worse. But he still deserved it. He deserves to, to be blackballed by the league. He deserves um, to, to not have a job in the league. There are two very good reasons for that. The first is that he doesn't seem, seem to really want a job in the NFL all that much. Or at least he doesn't want it enough to cool it with the fake freedom fighter routine. The second, if we could put the first to the side for a moment. The second is that his, his mouth and his antics consistently write checks that his skills cannot cash. This is actually a good lesson for all of us. Because you can in life, and especially in your career... Be as big of a jerk as your skills and therefore your value will compensate for. Now, it's better not to be a jerk at all, but if you're going to be a jerk, you better calibrate your jerkiness so that it doesn't exceed your talent. That's the equation. That's the calculation you always have to make. Tom Brady could basically be as awful as he wants to be because he's going to come in. He's going to bring your team to a Super Bowl single-handedly. So he, he can kind of be however he wants. But even with that being the case... He's really not that much of a jerk at all. And though he's accused of being political, he's not political at all either. It's, it's revealing how being friends with someone, Donald Trump in this case, is construed as a political statement by the left. But whatever Brady's politics are, he's not taking the, the field in a MAGA hat or um, doing anything else on the field to call attention to his political viewpoint, viewpoints. He goes onto the field and he plays the game and that's it. So the calculation for Brady is very simple. He's a team player. He doesn't bring any unwanted attention to himself or, um, or to his team. Uh, he's insanely great. Oh, and he takes less money in his contract than he has to so that his teams can spend money elsewhere to bring in other good players. That makes him about the most uncontroversial and obvious hiring decision imaginable. He has made it so that for his team, he represents all upside in every area. Again, there's a good lesson for us in our own careers even if we're not professional athletes. 
The goal is to be all upside, or at least to have enough upside to overshadow your downside. You want to be net upside, right? What about Kaepernick? Well, here we have almost exactly the reverse situation. He's a second string caliber player at best, doesn't have a winning pedigree, turns the ball over a lot. He's not a great passer. And on top of all that, he brings a circus of media attention and political attention, which he both craves and cultivates on purpose. He's a divisive presence. And you know, as an owner or a coach, that if you bring him in, he's going to accuse you of racism should you put him on the bench or cut him due to his poor performance. You also know that there are dozens of guys in the league who could bring you the same kind of production as a player, but with none of the same headache. So this is another no-brainer. Whereas Tom Brady is net upside, Cap is net downside. Whatever meager upside he has as a player is vastly outweighed by the drama he brings with him. That's why he doesn't have a job, doesn't deserve a job. Though, you know, if you're concerned, there's no need to worry about him starving to death. Fortunately, he's getting paid millions of dollars by Nike and a bunch of other corporations to walk around scowling and calling people racist. Hell of a job if you can get it. And when it comes to that job, scowling and calling people racist, his abilities are undeniable. Um, He isn't quite the Tom Brady of race hustling. That title probably still belongs to Sharpton, but he's well on his way. We'll give him credit for that. As a football player, though, his career is dead and richly deserves to be. And anyone who doesn't understand that is canceled. And anyone who tries to make any point about football without ever having actually watched a game is also very much canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. President Biden extends the pandemic timeline as 15 days to slow the spread closes in on a year. Disney censors Peter Pan for political incorrectness. And lazy teachers justify their refusal to work by whining about white supremacy. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.